This should be entertaining. Welcome back to the Omar the Barbarian podcast, where we talk about what is best in life. Today we are talking Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I saw it Friday night, and it was dope. Now, per usual, if you have not seen Shang-Chi, you need to pause this podcast, put on two masks, go to the theater, watch it, and then come back and resume listening to me talk about Shang-Chi, because I'm a spoil this bad boy. But if you don't care about spoilers, or if you already done synced it, I synced it. Kick back and relax as we chop it up. Now, according to our friends on Wikipedia, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rangs is a 2021 American superhero film based on the Marvel comics featuring the character Shang-Chi. It's produced by Marvel Studios and distributed by Walt Disney Studios Motion Pictures. It is the 25th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, directed by Dustin Daniel Cretton, from a screenplay he wrote with Dave Callahan and Andrew Lanham from a story by Cretton and Callahan. Stars Simu Liu as Shang-Chi alongside Aquafina and a host of others, including Benedict Wong, who was in Doctor Strange, and the legendary Michelle Yeoh, uh, Ben Kingsley, and Tony uh, Leung. I hope I'm saying your name right. Now, in the film, Shang-Chi is forced to confront his past after he is drawn into his father's Ten Rings organization. Uh, this premiered on August 16th, 2021, and was released in the U.S. on September 3rd as part of Phase 4 of the MCU. Uh, the film has received positive reviews from critics praising the choreography of the action scenes, exploration and representation of Asian culture, and the performances from Lu and Luang. Luang. Oh, man, I apologize. I'm butchering your name. I'm probably going to do it for the rest of the podcast. Forgive me. Uh, it is currently sitting at 92% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. That's critics. And 99% fresh with audiences. Now, that's important because the stakes uh, is high, as De La Soul would say. Uh, Shang-Chi is a film that is asked to do a lot in two hours. Now, when you have films that tackle representation, diversity, inclusion in 2021, you can't F that up. All right. This film had to get a lot of things right. Fully Asian cast has to be authentic, has to play well in China and has to land well in the U S now it's a martial arts film foremost. So the action sequences have to live up to a high bar set by martial arts legends. We're talking Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan. Heck, it has uh, royalty in Michelle Yeoh from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. She's basically martial arts royalty. So you got to live up to just the person in your movie. So this film also has to expand Marvel's phase four slate successfully. Kevin Feige is really rolling the dice with his IP choices, but it appears he's doing it wisely. You know, uh, we, we talked about this in previous episodes of OTB. Um, you know, you look at something like Eternals, you look at something like Black Widow, and you look at, okay, we're doing this post-Avengers, you know, endgame. Can we do it again? Uh, can lightning strike twice? 
and right, you know, with no Robert Downey Jr. to rely on, and now with expectations. Essentially, Kevin Feige is entering phase four like a Super Bowl champion that has to defend. Can you win, a, you know, win back to back bowls? And so, uh, if you now, mind you, this story has uh, this movie has a lot of star power, um, but uh, there are also expectations. You know, we come to the theater now kind of expecting this to fall off. I've compared Marvel to the Roman Empire and say, okay, sooner or later, you got to have a dud. Something's going to miss, but not yet. Uh, the story had to do a lot of work, and but Feige is proving time and again that he just might be the golden goose. You know, this film reminded me of Black Panther in several ways. I thought about how amazing this had to be for Asian audiences seeing themselves on screen in a Marvel film. I know what it did for me to see Black Panther, so I was very excited for them. Uh, this film also has to save the industry. Think about that. Hollywood is flailing because of COVID. That's no secret. Day and date releases have impacted box office returns to the point where I've quietly wondered if the industry can survive it. So, Shang-Chi had to be strong enough to get people, think about this, to risk their health to go into a theater for two hours. Now, the box office numbers I saw showed us, uh, that it's already made $71.4 million domestic, and that's breaking records, and $140 million globally, which is currently the COVID record uh, in the UK. I want to say this. Representation matters, man. People want to see themselves on screen doing heroic things. And guess what? Asian audiences getting a superhero doesn't take Wakanda from me. Diversity is not a zero-sum game, even though we act like it sometimes. I don't win if you lose. We win together. Shang-Chi is already invited to the cookout in Wakanda, as far as I'm concerned. Now, what's the plot? All right, so 1,000 years ago, <laughs> uh, and I'm going to butcher these names, Zhu Wenwu finds the Ten Rangs, uh, mystical weapons that grant their user uh, immortality and great power. Wenwu amasses an army of warriors called the Ten Rangs and conquers many kingdoms topples governments throughout history. The opening sequence, by the way, is very dope. Now, we jump forward to 1996. Wenwu begins searching for the village of Talo, which is said to harbor various mythical beasts. And this is to expand his already great power. He finds the entrance to the village, but is stopped from entering the villages uh, by the uh, guardian, Ying Li. The two fall in love. They have two children, Shang-Chi and Zai Ling. I hope I'm saying that right. Wenwu abandons the Ten Rangs and his organization to be with his family. Now, this is a critical moment because it has impact on the final act, and it shows that Wenwu, which being the movie's villain, he actually goes out heroically. It's a nice underlying message, and I like this because it adds three dimensions to another Marvel villain, sort of in the vein of an Eric Killmonger. Uh, Ying Li is uh, eventually murdered by this group called the Iron Gang, and they were old rivals of the Ten Rangs. 
And Wenwu once again takes up the Ten Rings to massacre them and resume his criminal activities. So Shang-Chi begins training in martial arts and is sent by Wenwu at the age of 14 to assassinate the leader of the Iron Gang, um, which he does. You know, at first in the flick, he's like, nah, I didn't do it. And later on, we find out that he did do it. And I like that Marvel went there. It's kind of dark, but um, I like that Marvel is taking more risks. Um, you know, and after he does it, he's so traumatized, he escapes to San Francisco, which, side note, and uh, my friend Judy and I were talking about this. Judy was like, how he 14 in San Francisco and he can afford to live? You know, they, you know, they kind of just didn't explain that. You know, it's unclear how a 14-year-old, I can't afford to live in San Francisco and I have a job and I'm grown. How did a 14-year-old with no job, no money, uh, grow up with no issues and say, anyway, uh, I don't want to think too much on that because it'll ruin the movie. <laughs> but, hmm. So he takes on the, the, the name Sean, you know, as opposed to Shang-Chi, right? So uh, we pick up with everything following uh, the endgame blip, and Shang-Chi is working as a valet with his best friend, Katie, who is played by Aquafina, who is basically the heart of the film. A side note, uh, before this, I had no idea who Aquafina was. I had to Google her. Come to find out, she's a YouTube star who did a song called My Vag, which I need to hear, back in 2012. Uh, now she's a, uh, in a Marvel movie. God bless America, man. Um, there's a really great scene where we establish that she can drive. Uh, and we also see interactions among an Asian family. And this was fascinating for me. Uh, I felt like we, I was getting uh, to see inside of a culture that I didn't know much about. And I felt like it was authentic, uh, not because I'm well-versed here, but because the scene just felt real. Uh, it's kind of like uh, watching uh, Jada De Laurentiis uh, make a meal and she tells you that it's authentic and you just kind of nod watching Food Network going, yo, all right, I buy it. If you buy it, if you're telling me I buy it, you know better than me. And so this was one of those uh, because the actors made you believe that it was authentic and it was uh, I'm, I would have to imagine that if you're going to go to the great lengths to have a fully Asian cast and then show a family moment in Asian culture, that's not a scene you want to get wrong. So it uh, just felt like I was getting, you know, sort of an inside scoop on what was going on, or what life is like in this culture and these families and how things work together. Uh, and it, they did it in such a way where I didn't feel like I was watching a documentary, just a scene, just a family doing family stuff. And so I have to imagine that Asian audiences saw this, felt very seen, felt very represented. And I like that. So anyway, uh, while they are on their bus, uh, on a bus on their way to work, uh, Shang-Chi and Katie are attacked by the Ten Rags, uh, led by this dude named Razor Fist. Uh, Shang-Chi uh, fights them off, but discovers that his pendant is this jade pendant that his mother gave him. Uh, has been taken. And so he's fearing that the Ten Rangs uh, will attack Xiling for her pendant. Uh, Shang-Chi decides to track her down and reveals his past to Katie, you know, who agrees to help him. So they find her, uh, Xiling, uh, at this underground fight club in Macau, uh, which she owns. And she expresses her resentment towards Shang-Chi uh, and their father because, you know, basically he bounced and she was like, please don't leave. And he was like, nah, I got to go. Um, and so she 
you know, just did her thing, uh, which I also like. You know, you had you, they had, you know, sequences where he's training and she's kind of watching. And, she, you know, what I love about her, she's so dope that they didn't let her train. And she trained herself by watching what they did and was better fighting than all of them. Right. So uh, at this point, the fight club is attacked by the Ten Rings uh, with Wenwu unexpectedly arriving to capture Shang-Chi, Katie and Xilinx. Um, incidentally, there's a line at the fight club, uh, where this dude says, I speak ABC, uh, that I thought was awesome. I want to talk to some of my Asian friends and see if that's something that they've actually said amongst themselves. Just curious. Uh, I did want more fight between Wong and the abomination, though. I like where we're, uh, that we're going to likely get more abomination down the road. And I like that he's comics accurate now. Uh, one of the nitpicky things I did not like about this film was that we didn't get more Fight Club. I think, you know, if you're going to go to the links to have a Fight Club and you bring in the, the Abomination and you got Wong in there, let's get more Fight Club. Um, it's, to me, it's like, how are you going to have this in a martial arts movie with superheroes and not give me more of this? Um, though we do get like an immediate situation right then and there that leads to fighting. So it might have been too much fighting. So maybe that's why they didn't do it. All right. So then we go to the Ten Rings' uh, base of operations. And this is where Wenwu reveals that he thinks that Ying Li is still alive and is being kept in Talo. And uh, he uses the two pendants uh, to create a map that can be used to enter the village. It's a very cool scene. But I need to see the movie again because it is not very clear to me why the pendants reveal a map to Talo. Apart from the fact that the plot just kind of needs it to. Felt a bit luck dragonish, but it's so dope of a scene that I was, you know, I'll allow it. And plus, I need to see it again because maybe they do explain it. And I just maybe I just missed it. So Wenwu's plan is to destroy the village after freeing his wife. Uh, and when uh, Zailing and Shang-Chi and Katie object to this, he imprisons them. And so um, the three of them escape the compound with the help of former actor Trevor Slattery. Uh, who uh, the ten, ten Rings imprisoned for impersonating Wen Wu in Iron Man 3. And can I just say that uh, he's amazing. Uh, his insertion here is per- perfection. They use him just enough to get the right amount of comedy. Um, they could have gone too far with that, but they do just enough. Also, the magical creatures uh, are going to make Disney a lot of money. Um, selling the Morris plushies, I already want one, right? Uh, my other little nitpicky thing is how Wenwu was being portrayed as a villain. I can't decide if I like the nuance or if it feels like plot armor. You know what I'm saying? Like, he, he should want to rescue his wife and destroy anyone who would imprison her. But I didn't feel like he was a dude who had lost reason. And this didn't feel like nuance or conflict. You know, it wasn't like Darth Vader struggling with the dark side. I mean, don't get me wrong. It wasn't Kylo Ren bad, but it was like the writers couldn't decide how to make him a loving husband and a father who was blinded by rage and the villain who would burn down a village because he couldn't be reasoned with. I will say this, though. Even though it doesn't quite land for me, the writing is consistent enough for his character that it doesn't hurt the film. 
Maybe that is his nuance. I mean, people can be several things all at once. I need to see it again and circle back on this. Anyway, so we go to Talo to warn the village of the Ten Ten Rangs and meet Ying Nan, uh, Michelle Yeoh, uh, Ying Li's sister. So here we get the history of Talo. Thousands of years ago, it was attacked by uh, this soul-consuming thing called the Dweller in Darkness and his minions who were out minioning. Uh, however, the village was saved by a dragon called the Great Protector, who helped uh, seal the dweller and his minions in a mountain. Uh, according to Nan, the dweller has been influencing Wenwu into believing that Yingli is still alive, so that he will use the Ten Rangs to break the seal, so he can get out and do more dwelling in darkness. All right. So the villagers, Shang-Chi, Zailing, and Katie train and prepare for their arrival. Right? Uh, Wen Wu and the Ten Rangs arrive to destroy uh, the seal and battle ensues. Uh, Wen Wu and Shang-Chi fight, which ends with Wen Wu casting Shang-Chi into this lake. Um, but then Shang-Chi, uh, well, actually, you know what? Um, Wen Wu, who thinks he's hearing his, his wife's voice, starts breaking down the seal with the Ten Rings which, you know, unknown to him, causes men, uh, like the minions to get out. And so the villagers and the Ten Rings, they say, all right, we're going to have to call a truce in order to stop these minions. So meanwhile, Shang-Chi is revived by the Great Protector, you know, and he comes rising out of the water uh, to battle. Oh, well, he revives Shang-Chi, then he comes out of the water and he starts battling the minions. Wenwu and Shang-Chi fight one more time. Uh, and this time, Shang-Chi is victorious. And this is a crazy fight. There's a scene where Shang-Chi comes out of the smoke and he got the rings floating around him. That's very, very dope. Um, Wenwu then sacrifices himself to save Shang-Chi. And then he gives him the Ten Rings. And the Dweller is eventually killed by the combined forces of Shang-Chi, the Great Protector, Xiling, and Katie. In fact, Katie has the kill shot. You know, what I call the smaug shot, you know, the arrow, you know, through the neck of the thing. And, uh, you know, I like that they gave that to Katie. Shang-Chi and Katie go back to San Francisco, uh, where they are immediately summoned by Wong. Because, you know, we got to set the next film up. And in the uh, mid credit scene, uh, that's where he, he rolls up. He takes them back to the uh, Sanctum Sanct- uh, Sanctorum where uh, they, they hook up with Bruce Banner. And it's not clear how he went from being uh, Smart Hulk uh, to back to Bruce Banner. Uh, but I guess we'll get that. But it, they did have continuity that he still got his arm in a sling from the events of Endgame. Uh, and um, Captain Marvel is there. Carol Danvers is there. And um, if I remember correctly, her hair was starting to grow out um, you know, in that, you know, when they showed her. Uh, and we discovered that the 10 rings are emitting a mysterious signal. Uh, then in the post credit scene, we find out that Xilin has become the new leader of the 10 rings. And I, I, I can't wait to see what we do in, uh, part two, you know, for like, what is she doing and how does that evolve? So, uh, all in all, man, this is one of the best Marvel movies we've gotten in some time. Uh, definitely the best origin story since Iron Man. All due respect to Black Panther, 
Mind you, I don't really consider Black Panther an origin story since we'd already been introduced to T'Challa in Civil War. Uh, so this this film had so much it had to get right, and it absolutely nails it. Uh, I like the redemption of the Mandarin. Mandarin, uh, The way that he used the Ten Rings was so innovative. I did not expect the rings to be that powerful, and I'm very interested to learn more about them. Uh, also, the redemption of Trevor, uh, how they worked in Iron Man 3. Now, you can't make me like that movie, Marvel, uh, but I do like how you made it a bit more relevant. Uh, cast, top to bottom, perfect. I cannot believe uh, Lu, uh I hope I'm saying your name right, learned martial arts for this film. I thought he'd been practicing his whole life. Um, he also got very ripped for the role uh, and is credible uh, as a badass hero, um, but is also very vulnerable. That is not easy to pull off. His masculinity is balanced and not toxic at all. Uh, Aquafina, Wow, man. She is, as I said earlier, the heart of the film. She absolutely nails it. I love how they worked her in. She's strong in her own right, um, but uh, doesn't take anything away from Shang-Chi. You know, uh, I love the way that female strength is portrayed in this movie. It, it, it reminded me of Wakanda. Uh, one of the things I love about Black Panther is how women are shown strong, but not to the extent that it emasculates any dudes there. So often I've seen Hollywood get the strong female character wrong. Um, I'm of the belief that if you have to announce that you're strong, you're not strong. You know, Xiling shows up on screen, beats dudes down, and I'm sitting there like, she's strong. You know, S-K-R-O-N-G, <laughs> strong. Um, and then the way Shang-Chi defeats Wen Wu, he uses his mom's technique. So, you know, they worked everything in very balanced, very, you know, masterfully. You know, kudos to you, Kevin Feige. You do your thing. Um, again, also love representation, balance. Uh, we are stronger together, you all. A woman's strength doesn't take away from a man's. It enhances it and vice versa. Uh, Michelle Yeoh is the goat, period. Uh, I'm going to butcher her name. Ming-Er Zhang. I hope I'm saying that right. She's incredible. There's also a note I read where she asked to have a red streak removed from her character's hair after she discovered the appearances uh, association uh, with a rebellious Asian girl stereotype. She was like, nah, I'm not about that life. Um, the I thought the CGI was great. You know, uh, They could have really gone overboard with it, but they didn't. The dragon at the end, perfection. Um, fight choreography was insane. The bus scene alone, you all, good Lord. Um, think like Daredevil hallway fight, but on a bus. It's like they took a Jackie Chan film, they took the movie Speed, and they decided to throw a dude with a machete arm that can cut through anything. And they threw them all in a blender and a whole bunch of other martial arts dudes to attack the hero while Aquafina drives the bus. It's incredible. Uh, uh, and, you know, incorporating, I really like this. They incorporated like the pull stop as like the signal. It's, you have to see it. It's, it's, it's ingenious. Uh, end credit scenes, karaoke, the humor, all the magical creatures. This film had a lot that, you know, uh, many chances to go off the rails, uh, but it managed to stay grounded and it delivers a really strong offering. Now, what did I not love? It wasn't a ton. 
Um, now, while the pacing is really good and it's tight, there are a few moments where I felt like it slowed down a bit in the second act. But I think that was because I'm so used to seeing movies at home now because of the pandemic that I have to get back to being used to seeing them in a theater. Things feel longer in the theater now because I can't pause the movie. And there's a lot more distractions and annoyances because people, phone screens, talking, that kind of BS. So, look, I highly recommend that, you know, if you decide to see this film in theaters, see it where you can have the fewest amount of distractions. So, in short, Shanti is very dope. Uh, put on two masks, go to theater if you feel safe enough. And definitely check this one out. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I will probably see it again. Thanks for listening to the Omar the Barbarian podcast. Uh, If you are not subscribed, please subscribe. We love positive reviews. If you don't like the show, keep that to yourself. But if you, in fact, if you don't like it, go online and see you like it anyway. Lie to me. (laughs) I'm shallow. I'll take it. Hug somebody that you love, and I will see you next time.